0: On the Road with Brian King. Dr.
1: Brian King, what's up? You're on the road with Dr. Brian
0: King. I'm Dan Fisk. You're watching On the Road with Dr. Brian King. I say, I say, you're on the road with Dr. Brian King.
2: Hey, I'm Truby Trollope, and you're on the road with Dr. Brian King. Hi,
0: this is Nikki Tina, and you're watching On the Road with Dr. Brian. Welcome Dr. Brian King. I'm doing this one via phone, but I, I was recently in Detroit, Michigan, and there was this crazy snowstorm uh, that happened. I know snow is not something that's that's unusual in Detroit, but what was unusual is that this was late March, uh, and they had a very mild winter, and, uh, and suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, these massive winds came through and knocked out the power. Uh they had historic uh power outages they had uh uh an unexpected snowstorm it was it was actually a pretty tough time uh for me to be in detroit and I was doing uh a, a number of gigs there and then I had a book training gig uh with all these different conditions uh that I was facing that week. There wasn't really that many people to turn out to see me and, and, uh, and want to, want to get a copy of my laughing cure. Now, you could probably figure they had better things to do, uh, with dealing with trying to get power, trying to get heat, uh, and just trying to survive through that, that, that horrible week that we were suffering. So, there were, however, a few people, uh, that attended my, my signing, and I don't even know if they, they knew I was going to be signing books. They just happened to hop in, uh, maybe to get out of the cold, uh, maybe to come in as, and brave the weather. But the interesting thing about that night <coughs> is that I met some extremely uh, cool people, some very interesting, like-minded people, some people that, uh, uh, that that had a lot of good stories to tell me and so forth. And one of those people I met uh, was my is my guest on the phone today, uh, Mr. Frank Jamal, uh, otherwise known as Cornbread. Uh, and uh, and Cornbread is, uh, you know, something that, you know, I always think back of uh, of a... Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the Chris Rock album, or Chris Rock, uh, you know, say, ain't nothing wrong with cornbread. And every time I think of cornbread, that's how I think of, that's how I think of, ain't nothing wrong with cornbread. And so I'd like to bring uh, to, uh, uh, I'd like to introduce to my audience on this podcast, uh, Mr. Cornbread. How you doing, Cornbread?
2: Hello, sir. Love the
0: introduction. <laughs> I I like that. I like that cornbread is just such a it's such a down home good, you know, recipe, you know. It's uh, uh Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you eat it with barbecue, you eat it with southern food, you can eat it you know, it's just it's great. Now you're not gonna like cornbread, you know. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes.
0: Even my gluten-free girlfriend eats cornbread. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. it's, a, it's a name that stuck. I, I got it while I was with the dramatics, and I, every time I try to correct it and say, oh, my name is Frank, it, it never stuck, but I say, well, at least they remember me, so yeah. I just did my best.
0: And so, Frank, now, uh, it's not just a nickname for you, it's the name of your production company, right? You have a, a, yes. a music production company, Cornbread Productions, right?
2: Yes, yes. I okay. uh, started it in 82.
0: Uh, you want to us a little bit about it?
2: Well I, well, I mean, first, back up a little. I started my career in 1979 uh, working live concerts at this nightclub in Detroit called Henry's Palace. Uh, while I was going to college at Wayne State, where I got a BA with distinction in mass communication, music, radio, TV, and film. And when I graduated in 82, that's when I started the company, and I went on the road in dramatics all that summer. And that tour ended, uh, I went to a group called One Way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've dealt in the live field with everybody, or every group that came through Detroit, that came through Henry. I have worked with.
0: Okay, so that, so, uh, and you uh, and and you start. So you were working independently, the and then that that became Cornbread Productions, so.
2: Yes, I started again as a man. and through Henry, you got a chance to see other of groups. I've worked with our person that Anita Baker. Mm-hmm. And she was the uh, lead singer of the group called Chapter 8. And then later, I got to work with her in the studio when I started, when I transitioned to being a recording engineer, mm-hmm. um, working on record projects and all. And I worked on her Rapture album as the assistant engineer with Barney Perkins. And the album was basically five times platinum. And, and I was so proud of her because she was a, a local girl going good. So it was something, you know, I just felt immense pride in wanting her that she first started out and then seeing her album. I yeah. uh, win five Grammys the next year. Mm-hmm.
0: Now you um you've had about a forty year career in the music industry uh, all out of yes. Detroit, all out of Detroit uh, and uh, and I know you've seen some some interesting stuff I know you've worked with some uh, incredible talent uh, yes you, you mentioned <laughs> me something you said you, you said something like I I, I can't remember if, and and in my mind might might be incorrect you said something like thirty Grammy winners or thirty. God. Oh, no,
2: seven, uh, 17 members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame I've got a chance to see work with. I had the honor of working with, like uh, James Brown, mm-hmm. uh, Smokey Robinson, uh, the Rolling Stones. Uh Rita Franklin, he and I, she had the same birthday, March 25th, so she's got a special connection with me with that. Um, Jerry Butler, the Dales, uh, the first rap concert that ever worked, they're in the, they're the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now, Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five. Oh, wow. And just as a side note, I said in 1980, this rap stuff not going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out. So, see, <laughs> yeah, I was wrong on that. <laughs>
0: So you were one of those guys who were like, "I don't get this rap thing."
2: <laughs> I, I, I was exactly like that cause to me they're just three the body, and I'm used to a band and melody and background kind thing. That I just sat that whole concert with my jaw to ground. This will never go anywhere. how quick quicker than so. <laughs> yourself.
0: That's funny. That's, that's great. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's, hard. it's funny that sometimes we uh, we have a hard time predicting uh, those types of movements, huh?
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, rap. Uh, I don't think. You know, I, I think uh, pretty much the only person that really saw the direction rap was going to take was Rick Rubin. Uh, early yes. On. Yeah. You know, he he, he kind of he 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 nailed it. You know, he's like, oh, this this thing is going some places, and we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know start producing these, these acts, and and uh, yeah, you know, he, he nailed it. Uh, his, yeah. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, it really did take off, and and people that people were not thinking it was going to last like it did, and, and right and become so musically diverse and uh, and you yeah, know your city is uh, is full of rappers or at least uh, oh yeah and see, of them. And that's one with... of the
2: things it, i work with rappers that's what got me into to think in a different way when i finally got a chance five years into the rap game that day i worked with a local group i think they're called the cia like a family group mm-hmm. uh, it was a, a two a brother sister and a cousin they formed a group and just to be able to see them walking through the studio with nothing planned, nothing on paper, and just off the top of the head started riding on the microphone, it changed my perspective. That was in 84, so I had to do a whole 180 regarding the uh, viability of that because I got a chance to work on a I agree with the integrity and the fact that you can sit back and from nothing make something, and the many um, musical background of they head, but they did have a passion for it. And that's one of the things you can't take in the studio is passion for whatever it is you do. So I became a convert that got chance, and I got a chance to work. Um, but before then, I gave it, again, to the same lifespan that Disco had, that it'll be here today going tomorrow.
1: Right, right,
2: right.
0: Yeah, now, Disco had a, had a little bit less staying power. But, yeah, uh, Detroit uh, produced a, a ton of that stuff as well. Yes. And, and yeah. did you work with any of that, that period? Uh, I mean, I know it was sort of the, the, the beginning of your career was sort of the end of Disco.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't get a chance to work with a lot of the rappers. You know, there were people like Austin awesome Dre and the Hardcore Committee, um, uh, DJ Loaf, and and folks like that. Um, I didn't get a chance to personally work with them. I just worked with some of the production personnel because, again, I had I mean a snobbish attitude toward it for the longest until mm-hmm. this rapper literally fell into my lap in, in, in regards to working with them. But I didn't, you know, I didn't put myself out as a rap producer. I still to this day call myself an R and B neo soul producer. But I don't have the same, you know, attitude that I did towards rap. It is a viable art form, and it has proven its longevity for all the years that it's here. I got you,
0: yeah. Is uh, rap on, uh, uh, now, now what, what would you say is more is more dominant in Detroit nowadays? Is it, uh, you know, a, a new r or, and or, or hip-hop?
2: It's more, rap has like, basically dominated the chart for so long. So, so many rap artists I, I know a lot. Um, this year, the Detroit Music Awards, for instance, coming up in May, yeah. So you go to those award shows. There's a lot of rap artists who are up for wars and various producers I know for the the like Tony Green. T-man. He was part of the G Funk era out in California with Warren G and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and things like that. He's from Detroit, and I know him very well. Mm-hmm. He's a, a veteran bass player, and I've worked with him in the studio with our other artists um, that he has produced. But you know, I'm not known as a rap producer here in the city, because, again, it's just like having your specialty. You'll go to those who have that niche and the pedigree. And I let folks know up front. I have worked in it. I worked in every show of music industry except classical. So country, gospel, rap, rock, all of that I've done. But I tell folks what my specialty is, and that is R&B and e- mm- mm-hmm.
0: And there's a lot. And, and who are some of the now? I'm. I'm. That's that's one genre that I'm not up on as much. Uh uh-huh. um, Who are some of the the, the the newer artists coming out in that area?
1: Um,
0: and is rap, you know, rap R and Which one? I know is. the old school R and artists, you know, the old
2: Motown. Oh, okay. Right? I like that, but I'm oh, talking about new stuff. Well, one of the most phenomenal I've seen in the last uh, few years. I even my little concert i had on was a singer called El De uh, she's a background singer with Kim. Kim has made his mark um, for the fact he went, you know, basically from nothing to superstar by doing it himself in the beginning. And she is one of the first artists trying to get new label. I got a chance to work with her in the studio. And she's just, a, a, I mean, she is just so good to work with. And the voice was phenomenal. Then I got a chance to see them in concert at the Coq Theater. Mm-hmm. And I'm on her album, our assistant engineer on that. Uh, other uh, local acts, I worked with a Christian rap artist named Legion. He, he, to me, he's just locally underappreciated because of his immense talent. So he's somebody that I say on the bubble up. Um, there's also a producer named Trump, but, uh, uh, he's got this nickname um, from the days while that the disc studios out I in mean, East Point. Just various people who, again, you see coming up, and at some point you'll see them at the Grammy Awards and say, okay, I knew it back then, you were best in greatest greatness. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And so and and so that's that's sort of the new crop. Uh, and you worked with and yeah. You worked with all these old school people. You worked with talent yeah. uh, all through the years. I mean, a forty year career that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Forty, 40 <laughs> years, so much in love. Uh, you know, never. You now, have there been some ups and downs? I mean, have you had to like, to, I don't know, has, uh, uh, has there been a point when it looked like you know music wasn't happening, and you had to consider something else, or was it
2: always oh, oh. for you? Yes. I don't think you can find any creative person that will say it's just been upfield and bitter over their time. I've had lights cut off. I had the gas cut off. There's times I've had to check the couch cushions to see if I had much money in the cushions. It isn't hard, but it's one that I would not trade it for anything. I had to put music on the back burner for a while while I was still in it, but I had to get custody of my son, for back in 87 when um, he was seven months old. He, he'll be 30 this year. Music wasn't as did. I had to get a quote unquote regular 9 to 5 at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been hard. But again, it, I've had people look at me crazy because I even left that 9 to 5 and say, great money, regular paycheck, benefit. They're there. We're going to pay my way back to the mm-hmm. But I said it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I left it to go back to music. Once my son reached uh, a more workable age in which I could be comfortable, I can now go back to what i do. But yes, it it it's hard, but to me it's one of the best fields ever. I, I hope to be in a way like Trent. You know, he lived in the studio, he died in the studio. Yeah. That's the way to you, you know, doing something he loves. So, no, I have no regrets on it and I always try to recommend someone to get into this.
0: And I think it's I think that's true of a lot of creatives. Uh I really do. Like I myself, uh you know, I, I, I'm just drawn to performing comedy. I you know, I, yeah. I done. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe there's a point where I'm not getting booked that much and I don't get enough gigs, and so I have to do other things to make ends meet. But the bottom line is, I always come back to comedy. In my yeah. and I don't mean to make this about me, but but I, I in my book uh, I explain this to people. I say that uh, you know I, I have a Ph.D. in psychology, and people often ask, "You're a psychologist and a comedian. That must be a weird career shift." And like, well, yeah. the, the reality the reality of that is that I got my Ph.D. Just so I could support my comedy habit,
1: <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah. Like, like I, I got the PhD as a backup plan in case comedy didn't work out, uh,
2: you know. Until... Hey. Oh, I can could, I could, I could appreciate that. And see, on a, on a personal note, my personal heroes in the entertainment field are comedians. Yeah. To me, a comedian has nerve. They have the boldness to be able to get up without anything behind them. a tacky band or a background singer and get up there and sink or swim based on their talent. And there's no one to basically pass the blame around. So when I see a comedian get up there and they absolutely kill it, that is something I wish that I could do. Mm-hmm. But again, I've seen them that didn't work out as well, like the Apollo, or they get food off the stage or whatever, but they're back the next day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I could have taken that type of rejection in the beginning of my career. I, it was just too, too, too devastating for me. So... I like comedy because I, I'm I'm a secret comedian. all oh, that's my my hidden passion. One day to get up on stage to do, but right? I've never wanted to perform or sing anything with comedy. So that's that's my goal right there. to Be able to say, hey, one day I'll get up there and start cracking jokes. Yeah,
0: my uh, my thing is that I'm always uh, I'm really envious of musicians uh, because you know as a comedian. Uh, so the, the the thing about comedy is that the audience has to be paying attention to you, and the audience has to be engaged. And if they're not then you know i could I could tell a great joke, but if, they, if the if people aren't listening to it at that moment they'll it'll, they'll miss it, and nobody'll laugh at it right and if nobody right, laughs it, at if nobody laughs it, at it though, then it really freaks me out, and I think, oh maybe I, maybe maybe my joke's not funny and then and I like, start this is a comedian thing we get into our head and we get all self conscious a musician yeah. i don't believe I don't believe a musician has that problem. Because I think a musician can get on stage and play a song, and people can listen to it. But they can also have a conversation. They can also get a drink. They can also dance. They can also do whatever they want. If they're not a paying, if they're not paying close attention to the song, that's okay. It doesn't change the quality of the song, at least from at least from from my perspective as an artist. You see what I'm saying? Like, right, right. I've always been I've always been envious of that. I wish that I could just get up on stage and perform and have a room full room full of people you know, trying to hit on other people and still appreciate my art forms.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's really great. But again, this whole spectrum of entertainment the is just amazing. And on a final note, one thing that got me so impressed about the strength of being a comedian was, I think I mentioned it to you when you were here at Grosse uh the famous comedian, Lou Costello, uh, uh, Adam Costello. The time, mm-hmm. guys, the day before a big show, but he still went on and I and mean, the audience never even knew that he had that great tragedy in his life. That he did a great show. So there, there are times that the show must go on, and he had every reason not to do the show that day or the next day. But he went on anyway. So to be able to, to persevere through something like that, you, you can. You can mask that pain if there are other people around you to help you alleviate it. But he went up on stage with just him and his partner and gave a killer show. Right. So it, it's, it's one of those things, again, you see the healing, like you look at him, healing power, of laughter, it, it probably helped him just as much as the audience. But I've always wanted to, wonder and, and wanted to be that comedian that can sit back no matter what and put on the show. There, there's someone here like that named Mike Bonner. Mm-hmm. I just always look at him fascinated fascinating because he, he's just so good.
1: Do
0: hmm, hmm. you, you think you ever uh, get a comedian in the studio? you think you ever work with one?
2: Well, yeah, but most comedy shows are recorded live. But I mean when when we put on a concert, I always try to get as a host, a comedian. So mm-hmm. that's always again. I'm gonna give back to what my my admiration is for that people They say I'm gonna have someone as an M T to be, you know, in between sex, telling jokes or getting the audience at ease. So I've always wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a nerve myself to do it on stage. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know I
0: just it's amazing. To me, uh, it, how it is perceived as something that, that takes a lot of nerve, and I guess it does. Uh, it didn't, I didn't start doing it right away, but, but now that I've been doing it for so long, I hear people say that, and, and in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, man, it's so easy.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I, I just couldn't do it. I don't know. Someone didn't ask my joke. They just told me all off, so I I couldn't exactly. do it. My, that's,
0: the, that's the only thing that keeps me going is that the fact that I've been doing it for so long. Uh, right. Are you? I uh, my kids
2: laugh. <laughs> we have
0: we have we have a mutual admiration for each other. Oh, uh, no, thank you. Because yeah, you, you uh, I admire, I I really do. I admire music. I I, I think I think that all comedians. This is my uh, are uh, basically either they're talentless ugly rock stars.
2: Uh, that's Because <laughs> I
0: mean, we all have the desire to be on stage. And we all have that desire. to oh, yes. The center of the attention.
2: Everyone. admiration. Yes. No one. No one has a dream where they're at a concert and Or tickets for Stephen yeah. You know, so it's always want to be on stage. So yeah. my my I can do it like vicariously through producing the music that you dance to or play and mm-hmm. get to get the big just a big enough royalty check as the artist. Mm-hmm. But everybody has that dream of basically wanting admiration, the fame, the fortune, all of that. So,
1: so I know uh, I know
0: you worked with some with some famous people, uh, and I know you mm-hmm. worked with some. I know you worked with all kinds of stuff now. I don't want you to jeopardize your relationship with these people, but I know you. I know you've had to see some crazy stuff in the studio. Uh, oh my!
2: In the studio and on stage. And uh, you, uh, yeah, my, my you co-
1: can share. <laughs> okay,
2: oh, yeah, uh, well, this man, I'm still hearing people talk about it even to this day. Like uh, again, my company is Cornberry Productions. we when live sound at Henry's Palace what was with that sound company. Yeah, there was a time when the band. The trumpet player from the James Brown Band got into a fight on stage in the middle of a show with the drummer. <laughs> and at one point, I thought it was part of the show because um, basically, I thought they just do something to fight it up. Then it start started flying around. So it wasn't part of the show. Actual fight. And the drummer hit the, the trumpet player in the head with the stick, and it was on. <laughs> and. That deal warming up for James Brown, he came out, he laughed it off and got them to apologize for the audience on there. But again, I was in 80, 85 or so. Yeah. I still have like people talking about that to this day. Um, it's just so many, again, my, my uh, working with a new Baker, I had to reminder in the studio, oh, I'm the one that used to be working with you at Henry's. And I always thought she was just so drop-dead gorgeous when she was singing with Chapter 8. I got a chance to take a picture and say, what the reasons? I'm six foot six, and Anita Baker is about five one, I mean, five one, five two. And one of the things when I knew her as Henry, she'd always make jokes about my height, and I used to be, I, I was so self conscious back then about how tall I was, and I could never find clothes to fit properly when I was going through high school. So I, when I would try to actually talk to her, I told her rap to her, and she would make jokes about my height, it just basically blew the confidence out of my scale, so she wasn't really quite loved love type thing, but I've always, Told my, I told my kids about that story, but it was one of the things that when I met her in the studio, she still you notes about my height, but I finally got a picture with her and all. Nice. So
0: it's, it's just a lot of stuff that, that went down. <laughs> so you never got to hook up with
2: Anita Baker. No, girl, no, I just say one day. <laughs> now, now, my got my God, my eyes set on Beyonce. I think my future ex wife. <laughs> it, it, it,
0: it's funny you should mention that. Right? Anita was an a, a, a incredibly beautiful woman. And she's always better as an older woman, pretty. She, she doesn't look too bad. Oh, yes. No,
2: yep, yes. Yeah. And, and, the, and just the fact that she made it, she has talent, she has class, she has all of it. That's what I see mm-hmm. in the singer L. Renee. When I look at her, it's just this woman, young lady. I think she's not even in her thirties yet. Uh, but she just comes across, and she's just so gracious in the studio. She's she's very open to uh, being approached. I asked her a question once. I said, "Well, who's your favorite Muppet?" And she just laughed because she was. She just I am I You know, she said I anything mean, you know, on her YouTube channel. So I came over. Well, you never answered this. Who's your favorite Muppet? Right. I think she's saying, uh, Animal. And, you know, so we had a good laugh over there because she never expected something like that coming. But right. so she, she's somebody that she's having great things go for. it.
0: hmm Well, uh, uh, so we talked about some of the, the crazier things uh, that you've seen. Uh, clearly a fight breaking out among James Brown. Yeah. Group. That's, I can imagine that's kind of nuts. He really in a fight. fight. What, I, I, well, you know, James Brown, he wasn't, it's not like he was, you know, the most rational person there was. I mean, uh, <laughs> he's... He's had all kinds of instances where he's he's gotten a crazy you know fights. Oh,
2: it's it's a it's, it's crazy James Brown put on a three-hour show that night, and mm-hmm. after the show was over, he wanted to rehearse the band. So I mean, I was tired. I was just working the board, and this guy I don't know where he used to get that energy for a three-hour mm-hmm. set. And again, that's something I've never seen before. It's like sometimes the entertainers are so interested in giving money to get off stage that basically that's what they're playing for. Right. He right. wants to move it's like two, three in the morning, clubs close at two o'clock and he still wants to rehearse the band for the next night show. So he he earned that as the hardest working man in show business.
1: Mhm.
0: Yeah, and you can see it too, the, one of the one of the um, uh probably the greatest concert that I have ever seen was James Browns and Oh, ah. it, it was towards the end of his career, you know. He's—I I think he—he uh, he passed away a couple years after I saw. Him, oh, okay. Uh, but it was—it uh, was—it was—it was definitely. Uh, uh, I mean, you he just see the energy. Just as an old guy, you know, he's definitely just the the uh, the energy that he put into it and everything. You know, that he never stopped with the dancing and the singing and just. Uh, right. And, he, and of course he had all this ensemble behind him and and you know the the, the dancers and the musicians I and. Mean, an amazing, an amazing show. This man put on, it really was.
2: Oh, and uh, then on the other trip, you would see it in the studio, be reflected in the same way. I, I had a chance to work with the Rolling Stones when they did a remake of uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash for the movie with Whoopi Goldberg of oh, the same name. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a chance to work with Whoopi. She was in the studio that day. Keith Richards, Ron Wood, and the way they work, it was it was just so awe inspiring because they come in, they're just total, the consummate professional. And the way that they handled the music and we did the music video that day you was know, at United Sound in Detroit. Uh, they came their their quick and everything came on a the Thursday. They, they have a company that just simply brings the equipment and they showed up on Friday. Um, it was one of the best sessions I've ever worked. It was like a fifteen hour session of doing that one song in the video. Yeah. And uh Steve Lillyright was the producer and engineer I'm sorry, Keith Richards was the producer, Steve Lillyright was the an engineer and I was assisting on all of that. But got a chance to talk with them and This was around when Color Purple maybe was a couple of years old at Mm -hmm. at, at, that time. And talking with Wookiee regarding that, just speaking and just how these folks interacted with just everyday common kind of people like myself. You know, i I call myself a little bit above the uh, human job level in, in <laughs> And they still took the time to sit back and talk with me and the readers yeah we talking about my birthday and our birthday. Yeah. She's uh, definitely just one of the most down there people ever and got pictures with everybody. So it was just oh, great cool. work with him in the studio.
0: That's the one thing I like to hear. Like people who there there are certain people who, who have made it, and it's not and, and you know talent. Talent is one thing, but yeah, in order to truly uh, you know get the public behind you and support you and all that, yeah, you know, I think you kind of have to be a good person, you know. And, oh yeah, and almost all the, uh, the 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 ridiculously famous people I've met uh, have been just, just absolutely you know wonderful people to to to, to interact with, you know.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they they, all of them are that way now. Man. They yeah. the content. Some of them are the ones that start to believe their own publicity. Yeah. And you really just say, I can't wait till the session is over. <laughs> right, With yeah. the, the divas and just uh, the egotistical people yeah. that you really want to just say, I just hope this record becomes red or it becomes a frisbee. Because they need to have the wind knocked out themselves. So yeah. these people remain, remain magnificent. But there are some of those as well that you basically yeah. just wish, you know, that you never see them again
0: in the uh, in the comedy world uh, the world you know the world of stand up i uh, i can think of nobody uh quite at that at say rolling stones level uh the only person that that would 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 come that for me for me would be uh robin williams the late robin williams and
2: oh okay uh,
0: and, when, and let me just tell you you know like he's he's one of those people uh or he was one of those people when i met him uh you know he was just, I'm very humble. Very, you know, made lots of eye contact. Seemed really, legitimately interested in, in learning who I was, you know, and, and yes, like, you know, just this up and coming comedian, but no real, you know, nobody knows if I have any talent or any future or anything like that or what I'm capable of. And, and he's just he's Robin freaking Williams, you know, and yes. uh, uh and so that was the first time I met him. The second time I met him, I came up to him and I and I, I fully expected to have to introduce myself to him. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, again, uh, and, and he, he completely remembered me. He's like, oh, hey, you're, uh, Brian King, aren't you? I'm like, wow. <laughs> that was that? You know, it's, it's, that yeah. kind of, it's that kind of stuff that makes the, uh, that makes those people sick of mine. So I can imagine, like, I, uh, I'm segueing this into a question I want to ask you about the Rolling Stones. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so I have, I've never met, uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, and in particular, uh, Keith Richards is the one I want to ask the question about. Uh, in my book on the laughing cure, one of the things I talk about is how laughter, uh, is, um, uh, helps us to live longer, and it does. That's a, that's one of the things that I talk about in my book. And uh, one of the, uh, examples I use in my book is Keith Richards, uh, who has, uh, has lived, you know, uh, what, what a lot of people would consider perhaps maybe beyond his expectations, given, <laughs> <laughs>
1: given Give his lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And, uh, and, and, so, and, and a lot of people, uh, now I, don't, I'm not attributing it to anything because I have never met Keith or anything like that, but I, but I have, uh, I have heard and read that he's an incredibly, uh, laughing, laughable kind of person. Like, he laughs all the time. His, his laughter, uh, is almost, he's, he's almost known for it more than his, than his, uh, bass playing. Is that, what, what, what was your impression of Keith?
2: Well, and the first, he, he, he came across to me as just a regular, average person. You would pop into like a supermarket, No air of superstardom or hawkiness. He would talk with you in between breaks. He could, gladly took pictures, you know. And then, to me, that is a defining point Where you, again, as the assistant on a session, I was setting up everything, running this, running that, but you really – she okay too much attention other than what is the main focus the instruments, the song, whatever, make sure the tape is not taken on fire. But for have, to have someone at that level, like Aretha and George Michael in the studio, the same thing, um, they're talking and conversing with you just like you would talk about the ball game or the last episode of Star Trek. Just regular people. I mean, it wasn't much laughter in the sense of, you know, we got time to do jokes, but. Just to be able to get an autograph, a picture, to mm-hmm. conversate with this person, it means the world. Mm-hmm. There, there are people like that again that you think at their status that basically you gotta make an appointment just to say hi. Then he wasn't like that, and so just friendly this person, you know, at, at that level, that I've met.
0: Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, maybe maybe someday my 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 pe- my career will cross paths with him, but uh, <laughs> I highly doubt it.
1: Uh, oh,
2: it is. It's just good. It and there are people, just like um, I worked at a studio called Sound up on Puritan. And again, you meet the people there. I got to work with the four cops there. Um, and I got to meet Luther Vandross, even here. But there was this one producer, his name was David Wuz. He, he and his brother Don Wuz, or the group was not was. Mm-hmm. And I used to ride my bike to the studio, which is about four miles away. Four or five miles away, and I rode it up until it got too cold to ride. And it was still cold in like mid-October, and I will up, but I didn't have gloves. Mm-hmm. David Woods was going to California, and basically, Sean and I had no gloves, candy and gloves, and say, here. It's just the little things like that after all of these years you still remember, because he eventually basically saying, you need me more than I do. I'm going to California. And I rolled my bike home and always had me remember that because, again, I, I still say the people who look at the little ones, you can tell how someone is or how they treat the less among us. And mm-hmm. I wasn't someone basically of a known name or anything like that, just a lowly assistant engineer, and basically he looked out for me. Always mm-hmm. remember that.
0: And so David Woods gave me the gloves off his, off his hands.
2: Literally, literally. And yeah. so I rode home that night and I was like, I always was thankful. There, there was a producer named Ollie Brown who uh-huh. personally sought me out just to include my name in the album. Uh, he was a drummer for, many, he was a famous fashion musician, uh, played with the radio and Ray Parker. I think he played on some of the Rolling Stones things. But he was doing this group called Firefox and I was working on that album. And he personally hunted me down in the studio that day. To say, hey, hey, what is your name? I'll make sure you are included in credit. And very few people had done that and I worked with. So wow. I was always impressed by that, too.
0: That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, I got to be honest
0: with you. As soon as you started talking about uh, David Was and Was Not Was, it popped in the back of my head. I've had that song, Walk the Dinosaur. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> I
0: was like, I haven't thought of that in forever. No, it's only, you know, open the door, get on the floor, the Yeah, <laughs> so like, what a what a dumb song.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: maybe it meant something I, more than I than I interpreted it as, but it was a fun song, and uh,
2: they they it, it were yeah. just fun in the days, especially with God the like, yeah,
0: They're a great group. Yeah, certainly made that made them some money, but I just yeah, these, I'm talking about now. I got now I got it now gotta, after this interview, I'm going to listen to that song. <laughs> Uh, okay, just to get it out of my head. Uh, <laughs> walking store. that's funny. <laughs> so, uh, uh, oh man, I had a, another con- another question for you. Oh, so you um, forty years, man. You you've been in this business, and it sounds like you have definitely uh, had some some incredible successes and met some an interesting people. Oh yeah, uh, you have a you have. A, uh, I'm sure your your, your discography. Uh, a, produ- a producer credits is just, you know, pages long. Uh,
2: oh, it's, it's there. I'm, I'm not going to try to pat myself back to, oh, I've got, i got Dr. Dre at Clinton's breaking out of the sweat, but mm-hmm. it, it's definitely respectable. I'm working currently with this group called Choque mm-hmm. and a one called Exact, XHQ, the female group. Um, uh, I will also teach about the music industry at Foodcraft College. It's called Inside the Music here. So I've segue that, my experiences, into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last couple of years, I got drafted as being an actor. So I'm in my third movie. Oh, uh, so wow. But friend and I is a producer and director, and he's all the part just for me. So I'm, I'm going to have Denzel, you know, keep him sweetness nights that I started. Yeah. That year, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: Frank's taking over. But, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but you are... Uh, this entire time though, you're, uh, you're you're you've been based in in Detroit, uh, and yeah. four, the the past four years in Detroit has, has 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 not been very good to that city. I would think. Um, uh, I don't mean, know. What's your perspective on on what it's like to to not only be a Detroit native but also like stick it out and not you know when the bottom dropped out of the economy and. And all the rough. right,
1: the bankruptcy and all of that. Yeah, it's yeah. been hard.
2: It's it's been really hard. If you know the music scene has, you know dried up in other places. I'm not gonna say totally, you know, like it's definite but um, at one point this was a major Midwest hub for music to be done. You know, the studio I worked at, United Sound, was, was the first independent in studio, and they had all the major acts who was was not signed to labels coming through there. I got to meet Parliament-Funkadelic working there. I where Menaresa and George Michael. Even, mm-hmm. you know, that business was hit hard. And so um, Michigan had a one-point filmmaker's credit in which Hollywood would come to Michigan and get an, an like, incredible tax incentive to do a project there, and then the legislature voted to revoke those credits. So that industry, which was starting to take off, went away because several TV shows were shot here. Detroit 187, mm-hmm. um, a public that had credits to say, okay, we're going to give you an incentive to show up. Then that dried up, and so that talent food Basically follow the money and let the places like Maxville or Toronto or back to sell mm-hmm. So those of us that did, they can stay if they're simply trying to adapt to that change and, and going into a direction that maybe, okay, it wasn't all music before. Now let's go into soundtracks for video games or other areas like techno. Friend of mine have a techno label uh, mm-hmm. called Emerge Merge. Mike Banks. Um, so you don't have to say the traditional part of music, but this is where other elements of the industry came in. This is why I got off into teaching. Because a lot of people thought, okay, it's a dead and bad industry, and it's like, okay, let's teach you about how to go beyond just what you perceive as the only part of the industry. Mm-hmm. So I taught at Schoolcraft College, Henry Ford College, Mary Grove, and Ricoeur, to the recording of Detroit out of East Point. So it's been hard, but if you, again, you can adapt to the change. You can stick it out of naked work. Because remember, uh, back before Prince, not too many people had Minneapolis as the site of a you know, major musical outbreak, but that's what happened. Sangria Grudge in the uh, north uh, northwest portion of the country. You can make it wherever, you just you have the initiative. Because nowadays, you don't have to have a physical re- a presence of an act in the studio to record. Meaning you can record only anything wow, the same files. I, I was listening to the engineer called Dale. He mixed. Uh, the album, first album of hers, and they had never met to the Grammy Award. Wow! Is just simply you're you're working in a way that's not as it was in the past. So if you can stick and pay and adapt to the changes, anyone can make it.
0: So what was it about Detroit that made you stick it through, though, instead of con- instead of considering one of those other
2: options? Well, my kids, ke- my kids are here. That's number one. That's why I, after I just got off the road. I didn't take my kids over the phone, so mm-hmm. I stuck more to the studio. But I, I love the whole life make up every day in the new city. Um, but, again, when my children started being born, it, that became a priority. Then I got custody of my son when he was seven months old. So I've always wanted to have a home base and give facilities uh, to them. And the other is, again, I'm not, this is my home, my roots. Um, basically, this is where I say I will, you know, make it or break it. If I can't make it here, I can't make it anywhere. a fair break. But Detroit has always been my first love, and even with all of the hardship that's going on, uh, basically, I have made it work, and on the positive side of the hardship, trip, the, the only good thing about, you know, falling real estate prices is I, I was able to get the building that I'm currently rehabbing to a studio off of cheap Yeah. So where it would cost several hundred thousand in other uh, cities, other locations or different economies, I got this uh, building that picked up an entire block for less than 10 grass. Wow. You be a church. Have a huge parking about all of that. So that's going to be my home base. I can do all of those projects that I want you to do under one roof. So, film productions basically adapted to the economic issues and made it work in there. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I have heard of that. I have heard of uh, of entrepreneurs are you know uh, taking taking advantage of of just the, the, you know, the, the incredibly low property values I and mean, yes. buying entire city blocks at um, a uh, time. Yes,
2: so that's what, and that's yeah. the thing. See, one thing they're not making any more of is, is land. So mm-hmm. if you are getting into Turkey, and that's is, and be of what happened, and what happened to downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, you said you could shoot a wood in the middle of the and where they couldn't hit anything because it was so many clothes shops and so fewer people. The city, the bottom is falling out of the retail uh, district down there. Literally... There was nothing to go downtown for. Most people went to the malls and the suburbs, and that became, you know, again, you know, watching the slow to downtown Detroit. Now there's some major renovations going up under there. area. Mm-hmm. property that, that's vacant for years is selling in millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. They build a stadium, new entertainment district, everything. So you can get in low and wait until it starts to go high, and then basically say you're smart enough to wait it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it seems like there might be a little. Uh, it, there's a little bit of a of a comeback uh, happening in Detroit, but you know, yeah. as as, as, I, as I was just recently, there of course you know, you, you can still you drive up and down Woodward, you drive any any block off of that, and you see like you see as rows and rows of empty, vacant houses. You know, right? Because, uh, it's a it's it's a shame because this is a city that was once magnificent and incredible and and a, and a world
2: power basically. Uh, has been, yeah, you know, well, it's it, it, it definitely can make a comeback. When the tax base in with major corporations moving out or closing all together when the auto industry had a big bailout. So it, again, it can only go down so far before it deals itself back up. And those of us who have given, given the city the best of us, the tenacity of sticking out, uh, or oh, like Harold Wallen say, the tenacity of a cockroach, basically, it can only get better. So it. So it, it's the downtime basically hopefully, you are in the rearview mirror. But I'm banking on it with the investment of my studio. And my production company to make it, make sure it's happy, so I'm going to do my part to say let's bring
0: it back up. Very cool. I think of uh, when you when you think when I think of um, uh, yeah, a lot of the rap that's coming out of uh, Detroit now and has been you know for the past you know decade or so. Uh, I think of uh, I think of it being heavily influenced by the the economy and and, and, uh, and some of the national stuff. Uh, you know, and, and right now I'm thinking obviously Eminem. Uh, you know, it's hit is is pretty M and M and D twelve hit pretty hard by yes. by economic, uh, you know, misfortune and stuff and talk a lot about that. Right. Uh, and uh and then of course Insane Clown Placidity and the entire, you know, you know, group of uh of, of of artists that come out of that horror core kind of genre. Which right. uh,
1: I which know. I think like I see too.
0: Yeah, like uh so you know, and if I and, a, and it's, it's not just them. There's a ton of artists that, that either they produce or artists that replicate their style. Or it's just, right. uh, there's a ton of that where it's like uh, where they, they they rap about like scary or overly offensive or or just you know just downright just awful lyrics. When you really think about you know the, the, the what, they're, what they're talking about, but it's all based on that current economic situation of that 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 is so uniquely uh, portrayed in Detroit uh, and. Uh, and so I, I, I guess like like I don't know when when I hear when it, when I see that genre of music I, I think I react to it very similarly to so you might have reacted to uh, the rap when it first occurred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just being lasting. Uh, but you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it does seem to be lasting. It does seem to be I don't know it's a, a, a bigger and bigger piece of of what uh, Detroit is producing musically.
1: Right. It's so much.
0: I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you see that influencing other genres as well? Like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, maybe some of the, 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 you know, the R&B stuff, or, or are they starting to, to, you know, maybe get darker in their lyrics, perhaps? Or? Oh, yes,
2: yeah. And that's and funny you mention that because one of the things you'll see when you go to the Detroit News of every year uh, is that artists you'll never get a chance to see in person or work with. You're hearing gospel country, rap, rock, right off, back-to-back, and you still see that influence uh says a lot of uh, gospel is, you know, get uh, controversial in the sense that you can play the gospel music in the nightclub, and they say, "Oh, that's not speaking of the Lord." You can dance and take your breath to it, and so you see the elements of rap and hip hop get into gospel, even with country. Their country, guys, that basically have people up in Ireland because of more. they call it a young country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh oh, I can't forget, they have a, they call it hip hop. H I C K, hip hop. Oh, nice. And would you rap? And I said, wow, this is just amazing. That little cross pollination of the genre. But, yes, yeah, you start to see the elements of the uh, I did negative side of it. That's my big testee, is that basically, I think how many, young rappers come in the studio barely out sort of high school? One is 14. Right in here into i office, put my hand in my mouth and pull I said, What do you know about a gun at mm-hmm. 14? Mm-hmm. And he's this guy got, you know, both parents at home, he also to a great school, and he said, Well, this is what fails. And that's the bad part about the industry that people get in and do whatever. And rap fails tremendously, but you gotta talk in a lot of cases in order to be heard. Now, I'm working with this rap artist. Her name is Rolanda Matthew, And um, basically, uh, and she's going to be someone to watch out for as well. Shout out to Um, And basically, you we know, go, oh, yeah, work with an a. I think that's going to be a trademark issue. But she's going to be someone who when you listen to her, she has spirit, she has heart, she has more to say than just talking about taking a pub at the club or getting used so nonsense. It, so, it's again, it's a it's a positive sign in the sense of where the music can go, but sometimes you look at it and say it just gets stagnant because everyone is trying to imitate everybody else. Mm
1: hmm.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully, things things continue to evolve, and and and, and, and that's what makes <clears throat> and that's what makes art one of the one of the great contributions to our culture. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And again, I love it. I love this too. Yeah.
0: Uh, I love it too, man. And, and I really enjoy talking to you, and I really appreciate it. And I, and I know we can go on and on, but I like to the cap these <laughs> at about a half hour. So, uh, so we're gonna wrap it up in just a minute. But let
1: me
2: uh, okay.
0: as we do though. Uh, let, let me give you a chance to plug uh, a couple things. First of all, I want you to plug uh, for my, for my listeners and for this and for anybody who might be uh, following my my social media. I'll put this on on, on uh, other aspects as well. But let, let's, let's let, make, Give me like like three or four artists that you think we people should pay attention to. You, to to
2: Okay, as mentioned and
1: Kool
2: or Roland Roland Rolanda, uh, Rolanda Matthews. Uh, there's an artist named Legion, Christian rapper named Legion. Uh the two bands, uh two groups that I've started in the studio, they're called Chokeway, C H O, C H O K W E, and Exact, X A Q, uh UFO and R B groups. Um, and again, one of my favorites that came uh, coming up and hopefully she will be there is uh, Elle Renee. Mm-hmm. uh She sings with Kim and it's on Kim's label. I'm I'm just so proud of her and just a little contribution I did to a project. I just hope to see her at the Grammy. But she is amazing and amazing. lady.
0: Okay, so I'll, everybody listening, we'll we'll keep an eye out for those. Maybe we'll look them up. I'll see if I can put some links uh, when I post this uh, uh, this podcast so to make it easier for people to follow up with that. And, uh, and, okay. and and cornbread, how if people are curious about your career and getting in touch with you, man, how should they go about uh, finding out finding out more about you?
2: Well, my email is cornbreadproduction at yahoo dot com. couldn't c-bread, use cornbread for whatever reason on yahoo, but all one word, cornbreadproduction at yahoo dot com. That's my email, and I'm always looking for new singers. I keep saying singer because I get ten rappers for every one singer, so mm-hmm. I need those singers. And models because we have various video projects that we're doing as well. One of which of course, is a movie called Fatal uh, Brew, it'll we'll be out this August. And I'm just acting that, hope to contribute music to the soundtrack. Uh, but she's very productions at yahoo.com. All right,
0: man. Well, Cornbread man, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
2: Well, thank you, for uh, giving me the chance to talk. So it was definitely nice talking to right. you while you're in So thank you. Thank you.
1: And, folks, uh, this has been another episode of On the Road with Dr. Brian. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.